Before the Wicked Witch of the West and those gals from Salem, there was Circe, the captivating and kind of catastrophic Greek witch who did more than just turn men into pigs. I'm Rose. I'm Kelsey. And I'm Gloria. Join us this fall on Circling Circe, the podcast where we talk about Madeline Miller's incredible book, Circe. We go through the novel chapter by chapter. We laugh, we cry from laughing. We swoon over Daedalus and other Greek hotties and talk way too much about food, life, and scented candles. I'm hydrated. I'm ready. I'm You're pumped ready. to talk about Greek gods and titans. <laughs> Let's do this. Lasagna is not supposed to be cool. It's supposed to be eaten hot, stupid. Who just looked at the count and was like, hey, sexy, moo right over here. Like It's <laughs> 11.45. I need to go eat my liver. My Prometheus pate. <laughs> and Granny's like, get out. <laughs> <laughs> We post every Wednesday, so mark your calendars. Make like Scylla. Grab a sailor. And dive in. Find Circling Circe on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, do you want to do an outro? Or? Yeah. <laughs> Is that your outro? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Actors to places. Thank you, places. It's time to exit stage death. Maddie Lemerk. And I'm your other co-host, Emily Martinez. <laughs> and these are normally the chilling true stories behind your favorite Broadway shows, but it, season one has ended, and these are what I'm calling the Ghostlight Talkback series. Uh, so these are, we're, we're talking about things that are affecting the theater community that are tangential to crime stories and news stories and things. So how- And you know, Maddie, how, sometimes they are quite chilling. They are quite chilling. Um, I don't know if anybody, uh, you know, has seen what's been happening on TikTok since a certain bald, bespectacled uh, theater person has been kind of uh, taking over that side of the um, platform has happened, but a lot has been divulging. And after seeing some interactions uh, uh, based on a Rolling Stone podcast episode, um that went out that was very shocking there was but one person that i thought we should have on the show today and yeah, that is yeah. chris peterson from on stage blog chris welcome so much to exit stage death welcome 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 thank you oh my gosh it's great to be here thank you so much so for anyone who for some reason doesn't know who you are and who on stage blog is just fill us in a little bit about who you are and what you do with on stage blog Sure. Yeah. No. So uh, again, name's Chris Peterson, uh, Onstage Blog at OnStageBlog.com. Uh, we've been live now for almost nine years, which is mm -hmm. crazy to say out loud, which is Amazing. Uh, but we were a blog that was basically founded to highlight theater topics that weren't getting enough attention. Everything from uh, casting representation to uh, misconduct issues to pay equity. Um, and we've been really kind of leading the charge over the past couple years of really... Um, kind of trying to, I guess, push forward the conversation along these topics. So uh, I've played a lot of things kind of close to the vest. I've been given a lot of information and uh, things that uh, I guess you could call our sensitive topics over the years, but uh, we've really become a great uh, contrast, I guess you could say, uh, with a lot of the other theater websites out there, the broadway.coms, the broadwayworld.coms, mm -hmm. the theater manias that don't necessarily cover some of those topics. So it's been mm -hmm. a nice territory for us. Well, and I think just as like, because uh, like I work as a costume designer and wardrobe technician and as a performer. Um, and so I think, you know, Onstage Blog became very quickly somewhere that I would go for a lot of news because like I have a social, like social justice, social action background. 
uh, as well with theater. And there were things that Playbill was too close to the shows to discuss. And theater mania often covers very broad ideas of what's happening, but they'll also report, you know, they'll in Broadway World report two weeks after something happens, where you all had a really beautiful way of still honoring the shows that are like running, but also constructively discussing issues that are mm-hmm. happening between representation, casting, what is happening money-wise, what's happening with producers, what's happening with things like the long-term legacy of like James Barber being in Phantom and still being honored as part of that, you know, franchise, just little things like that. But it's, you know, it's, you all have really developed this great spot where you also are able to bring in people who necessarily aren't being picked up by the Broadway world or, um, a playbill to write and really bring a nuanced perspective to the art of theater as a commercial industry, but also as a still an art form. So we appreciate you guys. And we're so happy that you're on the show with us today. Oh, thank you. Absolutely. I, I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. So I think I want to start with something that you just said that you've been privy to a lot of information that you've kept very kind of close to yourself. Um, because really, truly, when you're operating a publication, even like there are things that Em and I have talked about on the podcast that I knew from working on shows or we've known that I've actually like ended up cutting out for the final production because I went, you know what, I was being catty in the moment and it actually does not need to be aired the way that I voiced it, whatnot. Yeah, it doesn't so, serve the product or it doesn't serve the story in a way. So what does it mean for you and kind of your stance of the integrity that you all need to kind of maintain at Onstage Blog when you do receive information that even if it's like crazy and salacious or it seems like it's a big thing that nobody's talking about yet. What does that mean for you maybe with your process and how you all move forward with kind of sharing that news or developing a story when you do get some of this information that is confidential behind NDAs, those kinds of things as you're moving forward with the blog? That's a great question. And, you know, it's, it's a really kind of tricky territory to kind of navigate around. You know, the first thing that I usually look at um, is, is it, is it about the system or are we talking about some particular individual? And if mm. it's about the system, um, you know, whether it's um, alleged abuse that was ignored by uh, a production company or uh, complaints were made to uh, theater unions that were ignored and things like that, those are usually the types of stories that I'm like, yes, because then we can kind of talk about the failure of protections, failure of systematic things that were set up to protect right. people and other things like that. Um, right. If it's just kind of backstage gossip like this person was mean to this other cast member and it's caused drama behind the scenes that's something that um yeah not 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 necessarily the best thing to print so to speak because it doesn't solve anything it does it just it almost feels like i'm settling vendettas rather than actually trying to solve a problem so that's really where i start first but then usually the the conversation then kind of evolves to well okay is this gonna get us in legal hot water um Mm. and you know I'll be uh, completely transparent when I say uh, I am not a lawyer. I am not a legal expert in any way. I have uh, wonderful uh, lawyer friends that usually handle all the stuff for me. Uh, But a lot of the times I've learned things through trial and error where sometimes Mm -hmm. I would go to you know, right about to hit that publish button and someone says, no, 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 don't do that because Mm -hmm. you don't have enough uh, to protect yourself from libel or slander or anything like that. So, um, and just like you saying that you've cut things out of podcasts in the past, if I had a dollar for every column that I deleted right after I wrote it because of legal things, I would be a very rich man. (laughs) Um, 
but it's it's one of those things where it's like you know we we I recognize that I'm not the New York Times. I don't have to necessarily get it right a hundred percent of the time. I can yeah. have some wiggle room there because it is a blog. But um, at the same time, you know I'm I'm trying to avoid um, a lot of of those legal snags. So yeah, when I do get information, um, if it is you know quote unquote juicy in a way, um, I want to make sure it's juicy for the right reasons and it's not just you know spreading false gossip, trying to settle a vendetta between two people in the past um, that really is going to be trying to solve a problem that we're facing. I love that. that I mean, and that's yeah. really important because, I mean, I remember back in the days uh, of the Broadway World uh, forums. I know they still exist, but there was a time when they were rampant and really kind of developing you know it was a way to learn things find out things because information wasn't accessible but it was also kind of a way that very toxic fan culture was developing i was working in the theaters at that point in new york and so you know it was just i would see someone and then realize oh they posted that particularly rough thing about you know me who you know ran a uh, unnamed lottery for an unnamed show i will not air that apparently you know just things like that that kind of We've gone by the runway, but, you know, not runway, I've gone by the side. But, you know, as we're at a point where I think we're seeing so many fans of musical theater that we haven't seen before. Like, I, I, I posted on Facebook the other day that I was like, I have so many friends who are just discovering musical theater as like a fan who mm. know I work in it. And they've been messaging me and being like, oh, my God, did you watch the Heather's Pro shot? And I was like oh my God, you know that it's called a pro shot. <laughs> and I just get so Bless excited. Bless your heart. <laughs> when they get so excited, our friend that discovered Six and Beetlejuice last year, who has just been uh, so excited. And she was literally the first person besides M that I told when I was like, oh my God, I'm doing Six for Norwegian. And she was like, <gasps> and so I was, you know, it was really fun to be able to be like, oh my God, I can't share yet, but I can share. So that's been fun, but Uh, you, yeah. you sent me what is it what what is kind of the the tone of the theater content that is popping up on your for you page based on like the how you interact with with uh, tiktok well it's really interesting because i was thinking about this when you were like forming your questions for chris that i was like there's so many times that for the sake of um tiktok and getting views and numbers and analytics up you know, you jump on a trend, right? You mm -hmm. jump on the trend, you jump on a sound, um, and you somehow apply it to your niche that you have for your content if you're really trying to create content regularly. And the musical theater space, especially with Funny Girl and Beanie versus Leah, that kind of dichotomy, and um, even jumping on stuff with um, the, I call, I call this person the the theater mouth breather. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, we're um, have to name names, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, you know, uh, I, I feel a, a lot of the time it's kind of like um, not always for the sake of loving theater. I mean, maybe people mm -hmm. develop a love for it after they've been introduced to it, but sometimes I feel like people just jump on a trend um, to try to um, get a piece of it so that people get attracted to their site and jump on the algorithm. So I'm like, wow, I wonder in terms of like numbers, how many people are doing that. But then I, what I get frustrated with is like, I, I'm very happy that more people are loving theater. I think that's really great um, because, and theater sh should be accessible to all 
all the time. Um, and I want more pro shots and I want more stuff out there, but there is also this balance of we want it out there and we want people to talk about it on TikTok. but then it's like, but then you get people who know little about the industry and a little about the art and the amount of work it takes to do a show eight mm-hmm. times a week or to put up a show or create a show or create costuming light sound that they think that their opinion is, is from God's mouth. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, you, you actually don't know anything. You don't know anything. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. and they're like, Oh, you know, the way, like, I, I just think about videos where I'm like watching either my friends or stuff like that, where I'm just like, I'm like, wow, like they're, they're fucking nailing it. And I'm like, and I know that they had a hard time this night thinking in my brain they're you know, they're saying, Oh, I had a really rough show. And you read these comments of they're like, Oh, I hate how they're like screaming the notes. I was like, you'd have no idea what vocal technique is. Mm-hmm, you don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah. And I just get so I'm like, wow, you can't get mad at comments. But I was like, these people really like have no idea mm-hmm. what it takes. And it's, it's, a, it's like, it's kind of the same as like having an, like voicing all your opinions about what you think the show is like during intermission, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. in, Ugh. like when you're in line for the concessions and I'm just like, mm-hmm. can you just enjoy Like, can you just like, you paid for the ticket. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, can you just like, we don't need, not the, the entire row doesn't need to hear about what you think about the lead of this role and, yeah. and their acting choices. Like, it's just like, yes, everybody's entitled to opinion because we live in a free country, but that doesn't mean everybody needs to hear it. Like it's that kind of thing. It's very true. their opinion about anything while we also have like incredible creators who are like i love kennedy kanagawa's uh content of being milky white uh kennedy kanagawa who went to school with m i I Uh, love him so much uh, uh, in ethereal friend of the pod i like to think um but (laughs) you know when you if you just kind of take in a little bit of theater content your whole for you page is going to be theater content what do you think people need to be aware of when they're consuming the content that is just kind of being created for them and it might be salacious rumors about Leah Michelle or things that are happening in the ensemble of another show what do you think are some things that people need to be aware of and take into consideration oh my gosh you know I wish there was like a disclaimer button where you could just say like take things with a grain of salt mm-hmm. yep, a yep. <laughs> um, I also wish that on the part of the the tiktokers and the and the columnists and the the tweeters if you will like in my opinion IMO like put all of that mm-hmm. at, at, up front because the problem is you get a lot of people that present things as fact. Is mm-hmm. you know, I heard this, this, this happened on you know behind the scenes here. Okay, well, what's the where's the proof? Where's mm-hmm. the evidence of that? And and that's where the those things usually fall apart. So, to anybody that is a, a consumer of TikTok theater, and I, I'm the same person. I mean, I I watch a lot of it. I, I try to see what's out there. You know, some mm-hmm. very uh, often sometimes I'll get a tip from. Uh, a TikTok. Um, <clears throat> that's you know how the whole Alice Ripley thing that happened a couple uh, last year uh, came from started a TikTok, and then we started investigating, mm-hmm. and it became a thing. So sometimes there's value there, but I again I think a lot of times people they love those juicy that juicy tea, if you will, from mm-hmm. backstage, and they want to accept the mm-hmm. truth. Exactly. So I, I just tell people take things with a grain of salt. You know, it's okay to have an open mind and say, oh, okay, that's interesting. That's an interesting opinion or whatnot. But um, it's it's social media. It's the, the, the purpose behind it is to get as much eyes on these things as possible. And um, I think that can become dangerous for some influencers. It, it has become dangerous for a couple of influencers already. Um, mm-hmm. 
and uh, yeah, it's it, it's just it's a constant everyday cautionary tale that you see uh, on on these apps. I think what's also interesting is, and and I don't know if it's because I know I fall into this trap as well. I think, especially uh, young theater kids or um, or even older, I call them the forever theater kids because I feel like mm-hmm. once you're kind of like hooked by musical theater, it, you can't escape. Um, but I, I feel like there's this essence to us where we. I don't want to say like we're gullible, but like, I feel like when we we're such sponges to information, especially when it involves like something that's so passionate as theater and the arts that like, it's, it feels easier to believe kind of any salacious gossip or, or tale of, oh my gosh, that happened to Barbara Streisand in an audition. She put the gum under the chair. Like, you know, it's just like you, you believe these tales um, because maybe it's because we're good storytellers in, in so many ways that it's easy to believe without, um, the fact check without the, um, in my opinion, like, I love that. I'm like, Oh, I'm going to do that in my videos. If I have an opinion on something to be like, in my opinion, like strictly my opinion, because it is true that like, it's, it's so easy. And I think because like, there's a lot of parts about our community that people just want to belong. So they want to believe what people are saying and they want to feel part of the community and, and, um, and in the room where it happens as it were to like, to the information and feel like they're part of it. And, Mm -hmm. and I think as I think we're seeing people weaponize that knowledge and knowing that, um, it is easy to probably quote, you know, maybe trick some younger people into believing them so that they'll get more views and then the analytics of the videos will go up. Mm. Because we have so many younger, I'm going to say younger because they are truly just a couple years out of their like programs. Yeah. Do you think they are doing a service to the community and a service to younger performers who are going through a collegiate program by sharing day in the life TikToks of being a Broadway performer that might not necessarily actually be sharing what a true day in the life looks like. Like Um, romanticizing it too much? Romanticizing it or they're choosing to leave out the bad days. Or they're oh, choosing yeah. to leave out the bad things. Or I don't, I don't know how to say this. And because I'm not necessarily calling out any particular performers, because also like we're still having to make the argument that our careers are valid. Mm-hmm. I was going to say mm-hmm. lifestyles, but our careers are valid, but they mm-hmm. are. Do you think it is a disservice to only show the like glamorous big side of working in New York as a performer who was lucky enough to be the two percent of equity members who got a broadway gig do you do you think that is counterproductive i think that's a really good question and i don't think that there's one answer for it because um and i think it also depends on how people use social media because Mm -hmm. i was actually just unpacking this in an episode of my podcast about like post-show blues um and that um check out, Oh, I'm lonely. Um, and I was kind of talking to myself being like, I get really upset when people don't read the room in terms of theater, when they're constantly talking about how they book something, when they've constantly done, because the reality is exactly what you said. Like performers 
are not constantly booking or most performers aren't, especially in this climate that we're in. And I struggle with that where I'm like, I want to vlog. I want to tell people about my exciting days, but I don't tend to film myself on the days where I am so sad that I'm not working. I feel like my worth is just like solely connected to my work. So, and if there is no work, there is no worth. Like, and that's something that um, I actively have to and be intentional about in my social media to, Mm -hmm. to remind people every now and again, that this is just social media. This is a Mm -hmm. highlight reel. Um, I don't think that there's enough. I don't think that there's enough of that because I think the people who are using TikTok and people are really good at TikTok Mm -hmm. in our community um, where like, and I have seen vlogs where I'm like, oh, a day in the life. And it shows that how hectic it can be and how Mm -hmm. much there is. But um, I think there's also this worry uh, when we are making content that if we don't have like our Disney smiles on at all times, mm-hmm. we'll seem ungrateful for the job opportunities that we have, that we're not allowed to be human beings and have real emotions through those opportunities and and show how absolutely wrecked we are after a mm-hmm. week of rehearsals because it's just draining on all counts. But if we show that we're tired, if we show that we're ungrateful in any way, the theater mob goes to the jugular mm-hmm of like, you should just be grateful that you have a job. And it's just like, mm-hmm. I'm a human being. So I've experienced that myself. I've I've seen it happen to my friends when it's just truly uncalled for. And I think mm-hmm. that kind of goes back to people um, maybe being introduced to musical theater solely through mm-hmm. uh, an internet space where they're not mm-hmm. getting their hands dirty in the art form. Um, even if it's like on a community theater level or anything where you, you witness the amount of work that goes into any type Mm -hmm. of production on all aspects. Um, And I wish there were more transparency, I think. And, and authenticity when it comes to that, I, I try my hardest to, to be that voice in the ways that I can show up. Um, But there, I think there are more people glamorizing um how unglamorous it is sometimes Mm -hmm. but i also i'm like do i hold it against them no because Mm -hmm. that might help them get an opportunity so it's like it's this weird balance of using Mm -hmm. social media for your brand and your business and social media as like oh i'm I'm just, I'm just a kid from Oklahoma that loves doing musical mm-hmm. theater and I'm famous mm-hmm. because of it. It's like, cause they're so enmeshed in musical mm-hmm. theater. It's not like we're selling a product, but it's not like we're selling handmade earrings that are beautiful and we can make fun TikToks about them. It's like we're selling ourselves and yeah. But also a lot of it is these kids that are suffering through BFA programs mm-hmm. who are being sold this bullshit product. of that what they're being fed and once they complete it they will be famous so i think this kind of made me start thinking because there is that really great young man who's very vibrant and energy that he started his tiktok after he left book of mormon i think everybody knows who i'm talking about i forget his name but he's so great i love his content jj i think yeah Yeah, uh brunette Maybe. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's literally and, who I was thinking of. Yeah. So, and he's so lovely. Um, but 
I will say that like after COVID and things, I was like, I feel like he was great to bring back in the Book of Mormon because he developed a several, like hundreds of thousands of people following him. Yeah. Because I know like two weeks ago he did the, you know, how you're trying to feel when you've taken your final bow for the fifth time in a show, like (laughs) from keep getting brought back. But like, I think his is fun because he also dabbles it in with like, like what it's like to be doing, like what people think life backstage is versus like what it's like to do a quick change backstage. And like, yeah, it's very funny. But then I think he does a good way of balancing. Like I see how hectic it is, but Mm -hmm. it's like he also I think he has enough sarcasm and enough mm-hmm. wit to be like, if you don't get the, the satire in this, like mm-hmm. this ain't for you then. <laughs> like, I, I also appreciated when he was workshopping a new show that he was like, look, I'm literally in a workshop for eight hours a day. I think the thing I wanted him to talk about was be like, look, I'm making a single lump of money for two and a half weeks of rehearsal yeah. to then go do my memorable show. Or yeah. I was thinking there's a, ensemble performer in wicked who i just he just popped up on my for you page who still works a wall street tech job from nine to five every day and then goes and performs wicked and he i guess he doesn't do the matinees or whatnot and i was and he was just like this is the day of my life and i was like that's amazing but also like can we have a conversation about how new york is so uncertain that you still need to keep this tech job which you know because then your wicked money is your play money honestly with as low as equity i mean because then it's a question on that rake i mean well and then it's like and then it's like well let's talk about then that if this is your first broadway show equity minimum is 1800 a week like are we talking about that so so let's jump in because you we've talked about before that like you'll get these little tidbits of how to run a story and you want to maintain a good relationship with everyone what happens when we have a situation like Funny Girl, where from the beginning people are like, mm, Beanie's kind of miscast because she's can quote unquote not sing it, whatever, for whatever that means. Um, and then, you know, we're not talking, you know, nobody's seeing what's happening behind the scenes with the producers. The show is changing. What does it mean when your casting rumors are coming in and then a casting a production a producers decide to cast uh based off of i think in my opinion kind of internet buzz and do a controversial casting because they know it's going to be controversial how do you look at handling those kinds of situations as a news source as media that might have your own personal opinion um that you have to kind of vet but also talk about how there are ethical conflicts with bringing in certain people to shows wow that's a that's a really good question and um what's interesting is i've seen i've heard different publications handle these things differently you know there's i'm very good friends with folks that work with some of the other bigger sites and they look at it as News is news. So they're going to say, okay, right. you know, we're hearing these reports and it's verified. We're going to run it. And there's no, you know, they don't, they don't think twice necessarily. For me, I think twice. I always think twice. And it's one of those things where, and, and we'll use Funny Girl as a specific example. I, I hated the way that whole thing was handled from the start yeah. to finish. Um, yeah. For me, the failure was the communication. Obviously, from we saw you know subsequent articles from like the Daily Beast, which kind of detailed the behind the scenes factor 
and finding out like, oh, there was no communication backstage either. But even the stuff that was coming out to, to us, the fact that it was leaked to certain sources, the fact that um, you know a certain Broadway ticket selling website had the tip a month in advance and started leaking this stuff to potentially mm. impact their revenue share with tech ticket selling and things like that. So there was just a lot of, of different things that, that happened. And I think the problem that we have across theater journalism um, altogether is publications aren't being honest enough about their connections and they're not being honest about their, their intent and their mission. So with, with onstage blog, I've been very upfront. I have like very little, almost none uh, personal connections uh, to the industry that, that I feel um, that I need to protect in a way, so to speak, mm -hmm. uh, because I need that access. I need that, that, that red carpet treatment. I need those juicy interviews before an opening night. Uh, um, other sites do. And, and the problem is, is that, you know, when you have a site like mine where we're looking at a situation like Funny Girl and there's so many issues um, about it and the way that it was handled, um, it, it, it kind of, I guess you could say it, it's where those, those, those transparencies really need to be, be more clear between the sites and, and how they handle a story like that because it was a mess. And, you know, even, mm -hmm. even on you know, Twitter and um, TikTok and, and the message boards, the, the other problem is when the sites don't have a good handle on it um, and you start seeing messes about, especially the ones that we're supposed to trust, the big names and stuff like that, um, it, it can only add to, to further chaos. So it was just, it was a snowballing effect. It was just like one thing after the other, just, just you know, turned into a whole mess. Well, I think communication always ends up being a huge thing. Like Em and I, we just talked about Weber a lot. And, you know, we have to talk about Cinderella. It's West End. But when the response is, don't worry, we're closing in, in London, but we're kind of open on Broadway. Don't worry. But anybody that knows how the union works knows that means they can't just bring the whole cast over. They don't necessarily have a theater or money. Um, so, you know, it's those kind of rumors are like, it's fine. Don't worry about it. But then, you know, the cast finds out from a, you know, in some situations, a cast finds out that they're closing from a Playbill article or from a post that gets put on social media too early. I mean, While everybody's like on a bank holiday. Or you're in the theater. Um, I worked a show that uh, the producers assured them that they were going to make it past the January purge. Um and then come in to work to find out from Playbill that we were closing in three weeks. Uh, you know, so it's, I, I, the, do you think a lot of it, Chris, is that we're seeing a trend that the producers aren't theater people and they are money people first without that connection to creative and don't necessarily have the background in communication properly or, or like, the corporate structure, understanding that there is a corporate structure to commercial theater. Maddie, you just brought up the one question that is, I think, the most important question for the next 25 years of professional theater. Yeah, it is mm. too. <laughs> who is running the show and what is their background? What is their intent? What is their mission? Are they interested in protecting their employers, employees, if you will? Um, are they looking to make money or are they looking to push the art forward? What exp are they just rich people that are bored with their money and want to just get involved in this and, and see what happens? It, we are at a pre at this crossroads, and I think what we're seeing now, especially coming out of COVID, where 
you know, there's just so much uncertainty about the future health of, of producing live theater on, on Broadway. The costs are rising, all these different things. Mm -hmm. So I think the problem is, and you just nailed it, is that a lot of these lead producers, the, the same 20 people that produce every show on Broadway, are now reaching out to other people that don't have that experience, don't have that background, to just have the backing to come and be a part of this team. Come be, come be one of the 30-some-odd producers on Funny Girl. But that also means you're one of the 30 people that gets a vote in how this show is ran. Um, and that's mm -hmm. the problem. We're, getting, we're seeing too many cooks in the kitchen, if you will, so to speak. And so mm -hmm. I, I think you nailed it. I mean, I think the problem is the, the traditional old school way of producing shows and investing in shows is, is no longer going to be there. You're seeing this new wave of different types of money coming into theater that want different types of results, that want to do different, different things, especially with new money that, that you know, they, they say, listen to the fans, listen to what's being said on TikTok. They hate her. They hate him. They hate them. We got to get them out of the show, you know, things like that. So it, you're just seeing all of these different things come into play. But that is going to be a, a huge question going forward. And that's why I've, I've, every college student I talk to nowadays, I say the same thing. It's like the second you know that maybe you're not going to be the, the next generation's greatest star on stage, take a business class, take pre-law mm. classes, do what you can to put yourselves in those driver's seats to be the change makers in this industry mm -hmm. because we're going to need it. And so um, it's a great point. Yeah. I, I think that the problem is we're just seeing too many people that listen to the noise on, on social media that, that control the levers in, uh, in Broadway yeah. theaters. And that that's got to stop like as quickly as possible. Yeah. I, I think we're also seeing that the old guard doesn't like that things are more expensive to produce. Like, and they don't want to necessarily ante up on the money that they've made. Like, if we're talking about Phantom for a second, those producers have made back so much money per dollar they put in, and mm -hmm. they're still producing shows. But then they want to they want to hoard their little millions from Phantom that they've made. But you know, then go wait. Well, why do we need? Why does the show need a hundred thousand dollars worth of costumes? Why is that something that it needs? And it's like, well, look at what you're asking for. Um, do you think it also has been kind of to the detriment when film people started coming over to produce theater yes. uh, and looking at it with a film sensibility versus a theatrical live sensibility? And I'm sure a film idea of the budget. <laughs> uh, you're 100% right. And uh, the answer is yes, 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 yes. All of the above. Um, Dear Evan Hansen is the best example I can I can say about that because mm -hmm. here it is a, a popular Gen Z musical that producers obviously thought was going to be a hit uh, in film. So let's rush a film version of it as quickly as possible. Um, everyone's talking mm -hmm. about Jamie. That's the other one that was like really rushed into film. And mm -hmm. these are beautiful. I mean, there are, I, I'll be the first one to raise my hand. So there's elements that were, that were not as great about Jervin Hansen as, as time progressed. But it still yes. had, I thought, a great score and great story. There, there's, there's so much potential there. Same thing for everyone's talking about Jamie. It's a beautiful piece of theater, but like this rush to get it on screen, this rush to get it to mm. streaming networks. Um, I, I, to your point, it is definitely being a detriment, and that's why I am so nervous about this Wicked film uh, or films. Thank you, absolutely. Um, 
that I mean, I know we've been delayed a decade plus with the with the making of this, but the fact mm-hmm. that it's coming together and we're dividing it in two movies and just all these things that I'm like are red flags when when making a movie musical that I'm just so nervous about. So, um, yeah, no, that yeah. that's another like I think huge factor that's really impacting um, the live theater uh, financial stability right now. It's, I mean, the ooh, the Wicked movie, because that was my first job in New York, was selling t-shirts for the Green Girl, and I am forever grateful for that show. I love, <laughs> forever love that show. But yeah, it's also, why are we giving musicals to directors that don't have background in musicals? Like, In the Heights was one of my favorite musical mov- musicals, so like nine times on Broadway, but when the movie was not as effective as they were hoping it would be. Um, you know, I'm, I have a concern about what happens or like even Guy Ritchie doing Aladdin, like, I loved in the Heights. What, what, what about in the Heights? Did it, I, did not, did you, did not translate? So to so me, curious. just kind of like from a storytelling standpoint, it yeah. felt disjointed. It felt like every song was produced without the script in mind mm-hmm. because okay. like, like, um, 96,000 had all the comic book effects and mm-hmm. when you're gone had all of the, um, or when you're home, mm, no, the Nina Benny song where they were like on the side of the building and then like yeah. Paciencia y Fe, they did kind of, it felt like it was outside of the movie and put it where it needed to go. And then, you know, changing the plot and stuff made sense because you're contemporizing something that's yeah. been 10 years and the landscape of of people of color, especially Latin people uh, and Hispanic people in New York, it has changed um, kind of on the grand scheme. Uh, so I cried through the whole movie. I really enjoyed it. I just, I thought maybe storytelling wise, as storytelling of a musical, it hit mm. that, missed that mark a little. Um, but, you know, Wicked is a Disney-fied version of the book. So my question is, are they adding back in cut songs? Is Steven Schwartz writing new music? Are they bringing back some of those not-so-family elements from the book into the musical? And what does that mean for Universal producing the film and kind of those things? Because Universal, between Dear Evan Hansen and Cats, ha- does not have a real good run with modern musicals. So, uh, you know, I want Wicked to be so good because it should be. But like the Rent movie came out when they needed the ticket boost for Broadway. So, you know, are we at a point where we're going, oh, is Wicked concerned about their longevity on on the Great White Way? Like, is that a thing that they are concerned about? But yeah, I'm just apprehensive because it's like, just tell us you're splitting it for cash grab, not because you want to split it. Um, Because it means, you know, they're going to shoot it all together. So, you know, it's. I don't know what that means, but, you know, it's also, I think, having the movie producers come or the people that want to make movies, but they don't want to put in movie money are then producing musicals instead. Um, you know, it's it's a little strange because then they're just turning movies into musicals and they're not running as long. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I want to pivot a little bit, Chris, to talk about something else that's been happening very recently. That's a very active story on your TikTok currently. Uh, who knows where it will be when this comes out, but a couple months ago, there was a TikTok user. Um, I blocked him back then, so I couldn't even tell you. I believe he goes by Sweaty Oracle, I think. Uh, again, we're only naming names just for people to be aware. Again, we want to be conscious of what is happening. But became very quickly a content creator who was sharing huge industry casting and revival, like upcoming show, budgetary um, secrets. What is a danger you think as a publication when someone has a friend that works for somewhere and they're just spilling secrets kind of unchecked on a social media platform? 
there's like the the laundry list of from A to Z of dangers is is yeah. countless. And um, my biggest issue with Sweaty Oracle, Jonathan, I'll mention his name. You know, he's he's reached out to me. Go for it. Yeah. Um, is this is his third or fourth attempt at at building this platform around? Oh, I did not know that. Um, two years ago, he you know tried to build his presence on Broadway World's message boards and being that guy that would say shocking things about performers. He ended up getting banned from Broadway World. Um, he then formed another Twitter account that would start reaching out to publications like myself, Broadway World, Freedomania. And what, what people need to realize, the, the theater publishing circle, the folks that own all these websites, it's a very small club. It's like six people. Yeah. And we all have lunch together. So it's always fun, it's, it's always very fun when we mm-hmm. trade stories. But he would send us um, stories that were so outlandish that the second that you started researching them and finding out that they weren't true um, really became a, a, a really interesting problem because he's trying to push all mm. this stuff out there. But the problem now is that he has his own platform and he's pushing all that stuff out there unchecked. And I think the problem, like you said, with folks that are working on these shows that um, are spilling tea or sending him tips and things like that, uh, folks like Jonathan, Sweaty Oracle, um, there are others on TikTok, there are others on Twitter, there are others on YouTube that do this. They don't think 10 steps ahead of what the implications are. So if I spill this particular detail is that going to be an identifier for the person that works in the costume department? Is that going to be an identifier mm-hmm. of a dresser or the assistant stage manager? When they say, like, I heard this person, um, this person overheard a phone call where this person said that, if that person was the only other person in the room, guess what? You just revealed who your source was, and then now yep. you're putting it. And the, the folks like that Sweaty Oracle and other folks on social media, the problem is they're not knowledgeable enough of this space to take that stuff with care and, mm-hmm. and not to get other people in trouble. They're, you know, Sweaty Oracle will often say things like, this is a blind item. I am literally copy-pasting from an email I got and putting it out there uh, without any checking whatsoever. And that is so, so dangerous for not only mm-hmm. the, the personal safeties of, of people working in the industry, but from a legal standpoint, from his own situation, he's putting himself at tremendous risk. And the other big problem I have, too, is that when it comes to him wanting to... Um, talk about allegations of sexual abuse and, and other issues. He doesn't do it with the due diligence that's needed that protects the victims, that truly gets the stories mm-hmm. out there. He, mm-hmm. you know, he talked about the, the James Barber situation, which has been well publicized, but the identity and details of his victim have never been published. The victims have never come forward publicly. And Jonathan is out there telling people what this person does for a living, you know, accolades that mm-hmm. they've won and things like that. Which again, it's just that that's that's the problem is that you know you have folks like that that are just so um, you know bent on on creating chaos in a certain way and being mm. that that person that creates the chaos that they don't think about the implications of what they do. It's almost like um, it's almost like they're using advocacy as a veil mm-hmm. of like this kind of um, performative advocacy um just to get views and shock value (laughs) and to pop up on people's for you page which is not the way to do it (laughs) i mean we saw that happen outside it's very outside the theater space but what happened with modern warrior on tiktok who Mm -hmm. was an indigenous rights activist who's now attacking 
other indigenous people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is like, that's been insane to watch, like also trickle in. So let's, I'm going to keep moving this forward just because of what has developed in the last few weeks. So because of his platform, he was invited onto the Rolling Stone podcast where he n- starts naming actors' names um, and being very, and, and, you know, it's someone who has built quite a TikTok presence who I didn't even realize who it was until I looked on my TikTok today and went, oh my God, that poor girl. Um, but instead of just sharing that, like, has been in three, you know, also has been in three shows since 2019, like, or 2020, good on her. That's, that is am- getting three on, also being like calling an ensemble gig is going to get you, uh, like, Broadway stardom. I was like, Sweetheart, that's constant work. That's just what most people want is to be able to go from show to show. It's not about being a star as a Broadway performer, but going on and sharing. I can't even tell you how angry those things made me as a performer. I was just like, you don't get it. (laughs) So what? let's break down legally what the implications of this is, Chris. So him naming names and also saying that like, oh, my friend overheard a... um, overheard a phone call in the middle of Times Square. It's like, did they really... Like, it's one of those things, but... What are the legal implications between, because at that point, it's not just him. It's also going to be the two hosts of that podcast, Rolling Stone as producers of that podcast. Um, what are kind of those implications of what that means? Because like you said on your TikTok, this is actual grains for slander, could be a slander case, uh, defamation. What long-term ramifications does that have for all these people involved? Because they decided to just let him be quippy and not cut it out. It's so interesting, Maddie, because not only from the podcast, but also the article that they wrote as well that kind of correlated, mm-hmm. collaborated with the art, with the uh, podcast, is uh, the textbook uh, example of a systematic failure of a publication, and which will absolutely lead to a slander uh, libel, or excuse me, slander lawsuit with defamation of character, the whole nine yards. It's, it's, I had one of my, my lawyer friends listen to it and read the article, and he's like, you know, it's it's the perfect storm. It's everything that you'd want uh, in a case because, <clears throat> you know, the problem. What people don't understand is there's a difference between spreading gossip online, and then also saying statements of fact without any evidence or proof um, to then defame someone's reputation um, on media. So basically, so in this podcast, uh, at one point, um, Sweaty Oracle says this person was fired from a show, um, and because of racism because of the, uh, bullying and racism and things like that. I can, I can 100% guarantee that there is no... Uh, Sweaty Oracle doesn't have a, a shred of evidence uh, to support that, nor does pretty much anybody else, because those things are handled... When those things happen, they are handled so confidentiality-wise that you will never see you know, certain documentation of that. You'd have to get someone from the union, basically, to come out and, and say, yes, that, that's exactly what happened. That's not happening. So the problem that that's, that was... Incident number one. So you're, you're basically saying a statement of fact that is you have no evidence to back up, which easily can be contradicted from um, uh, the other person's side if they chose to, to take this to court. Um, and then beyond that, you start, you start hearing the opinions. Person looks like they weren't loved by a child. They, you know, or, you know, things like that. Like awful, yeah. awful things. Now, granted, um, you know, it, there's a difference between you know this this person that he was targeting. Uh, her first name's Amber. It's a statement of fact. Um, 
did she put out problematic tweets about the Jagger Little Pill thing last year? Sure. And so if people want to say, I thought she was transphobic based on her tweets, that you are free to say that. That you are free to say mm-hmm. that. You can't say what, what Sweaty Oracle said on that podcast. And yeah. as, as Rolling Stone producers, as, as podcast hosts and things like that, that should never have, have gotten past the editing process. I mean, the fact that it did is shocking. It's like, how was no one doing their job um, on the other end? Um, and then he, and, but he keeps going. He keeps saying things like, I heard, you know, according to my friend, um, when she was, you know, walking in Times Square, I overheard a phone call, things like that. These, the, there are certain claims you cannot make without evidence to defame someone's character. So now on the flip side, um, if Amber wanted to, first of all, file a cease and desist, um, and then follow through with a defamation of character lawsuit, there are grounds. And I've already talked to lawyers not connected with her, but other lawyers that have heard this that have said, like, it, it's going to be bad, not only for Sweaty Article, but for, for Rolling Stone as a publisher because it's it's on their platforms. So um, mm-hmm. it's it's one of those things where, again, you have a journalist uh, podcast host that is probably looking for as many clicks and um, views as possible. So you're seeing this person making a lot of noise on TikTok. You invite them on for an interview, invite them on a podcast with absolutely no vetting um, whatsoever. Mm. Um, and this is, this is what happens. And um, it's, it's going to be, I'm very interested to see if, if this stuff gets aired publicly uh, of what mm-hmm. happens down the road, but it, it, to say that it's, you know, a, a dead issue or, you know, Nothing's going to happen from from that. It's it's. There's definitely things that are going to happen. It's just wild because it's like we live in an age where you know it's it's amazing that people can create a platform to speak their voice and speak their truth and and have courage. Maybe in when in a in a world before social media or podcasts, really like they, there's so much more accessibility. But they're just it's like with great power comes great responsibility. Like it's so true. Like Peter Parker, like it's just, you have to, and, and when it, especially when it comes to um, editing your own stuff, like, you know, what makes you sound good and what you, what makes you not like you, I think as a human being, you get that ick feeling when you're like, Ooh, yeah, that's not how I wanted that to come off. Or that's not how I intended. I'll just edit that out. I've done it plenty of times with my own content. Where I'm like, wow, that's not how I wanted that. I'll just, I'll scratch it. Because you, at the end of the day, are responsible for your own work. And it's like, when people just put this stuff out there and you're like, how? And then the misinformation that people take Mm -hmm. in, because there's so much misinformation out there, especially since 2016 on, like, you know, we just, everybody thinks, oh, I can buy a microphone and just put my trash into the world. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, it's there's just so much of it so it's hard to find the good sources like yours that it's just like oh i i'm like i can always trust on stage blog like i'm like i can yep. trust it <laughs> yeah. like i feel like like obviously like you are your team is just one team but it's like so we can't expect that of you but like you just know that care and respect goes into the work that you produce so it's like you know that you're going to take that when you take it in. And, and, and believe me, I've learned from my mistakes. If you read my blog in the first two years, I did, I, I wrote terrible things and, and not, not like salacious, like malicious things, yeah. but like the way I reported it, like I would, same thing that, that's what Oracle did sometimes where I'd hear something and it sounds so realistic and so good. I'll just put it out there without thinking. And then an hour later, I get an email from a lawyer saying, 
that's not true. You got to take this down. Um, here, I'll, I'll use an example. I mean, there was um, sexual misconduct allegations that came out against a uh, vocal teacher uh, who worked for a vocal company um, in New York City that he had been, um, you know, uh, abusing students of, of his. And um, I was shown texts. I was shown conversations. I was shown screenshots. To me, it looked viable um, and, and mm-hmm. real. So I, I ran with it. And um, I, I oh, the other the other side of it sh- I should mention too is I re- when I reached out to the um, accused, uh, he sent an email to apologize and said, "Yeah, my apologies to them. Clearly, I was in the wrong." Blah blah blah. So I ran with it. Um, nine months later, once this accused saw the impact that this was having on his career, decided to mm. get a lawyer, um, and through that conversation, I was sent the entire text thread of and the entire images that um, I did not, that weren't given to me early on from, from the alleged victims that showed mm-hmm. based on other legal opinions that it was more of a consensual, like everybody was under the same understanding and things like mm-hmm. that. So I had to take it down um, and things like that. Mm-hmm. So that stuff will happen, but um, the, you, the important thing is to learn from your mistakes. And, to, and, and when, you, when you do make that mistake, to try to be better, to admit that you're better. The problem that you have with TikTokers, especially like Twitter Oracle, is when they do make that mistake, they come out with the excuse of saying, "Oh, it's just a blind item. This is what I do. Everything's alleged. Um, you know, that's that's just yeah. I'm trying to be the Tony Clifton or Andy Kaufman of of theater, whatever that means, and things like that. So it's it's there's that there's that difference of responsibility. And, and other websites have gotten it wrong in the past too that have taken the steps to to get it right. Mm-hmm. But you know, at Onstage Blog. Again, you know, what we try to do is double, triple check everything. The writers that we have um, are very carefully reviewed, um, usually based on, you know, sample writing samples. Um, when they when they get when they come with a story, you know, I say to them, you, you need to have evidence, you need to have contacts, you need to have people that we can reach out to. So we're gonna we're gonna take eight steps to get something right. Um, and thankfully since then we've we've done a pretty good job of that. But um, it's it's the, the these new technologies, these new apps that just don't allow that that time to do it. And the other problem too, I think you've noticed is that if you're the if you're the the, the knowledgeable voice in the room, if you're the account that's like, I know you like this juicy tea, but here's the reality of the business and you kind of spoil the mm-hmm. fun, if you will, people hate that on these on these apps. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite yeah. TikTok accounts to give him a shameless plug is his name is Brian. Uh, his handle I think is Brian the business analyst, but he does these really great in-depth pieces about the, the the financial backing side of um you know these broadway shows and often people are like well i just want the juicy tea i don't want all the you know i don't i don't want to hear about budgets because that's spoiler for fun but that's that's the type of content that we need more of the telling us the the actual truth behind these things i love that so just to kind of as i wrap up this section of it so if they were looking at like if amber did want to move forward with a case physically they could have a case against, you know, she could have a case against them. Funny Girl could have a case against them and all of the producers could. But then also couldn't then Rolling Stone, who would probably lose the case depending on their lawyers. Um, oh, again, that is conjecture on my side. Um, <laughs> but then couldn't they then take a case against Jonathan as 
as as uh, you know rolling stone then says this happened to us but it was because of this content creator oh absolutely that would then just be embroiled in just like tons of its own salacious court cases not to mention the union i mean the union could get involved because you just defamed uh, a member of actors equity um on a, a major publications website and podcast so they could get involved i mean it, it it's one of those things where it's like if if it was just his own podcast um it might not reach that level you usually just kind of do a cease and desist take the episode down and everybody goes home but because you're talking about a multi-million dollar uh platform arguably the biggest music magazine in existence today owned mm-hmm. by a major publishing company everybody's mm-hmm. gonna to get you know uh involved in this because the other thing too is and 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 good or bad I mean, it's a, it, no, nine times out of ten it's good but sometimes it's bad but this industry protects itself so mm-hmm. if if an outside entity comes after one of our own you're going to see other organizations, you know, circle the wagons and protect that. Sometimes it's, like I said, sometimes mm-hmm. it's great. Sometimes it's not so great, but um, <laughs> we see it happen. And so, yeah, it, it's, it's going to be one of those things where there are so many layers. And that's why, I mean, the, the, the I- irony of this is that I want this to, this situation to be taught in law classes going forward, because it's mm-hmm. so interesting uh, of how this failure happened. But yeah, you're right. I mean, Rolling Stone could easily, you know, whether it's um, kind of through settlements and, and different things, but they could literally distance themselves from, from Sweaty Oracle, throw him under the bus, and then now he's by himself in, in all of this. And so, um, and I, I, I'll be the first person to say it. I, I felt bad for him at one point. I was like, he clearly doesn't understand the hole he just dug himself into. But then mm. through, again, his own doing, posting things on his own TikTok, showing his response to cease and desist lawyers, um, like, you know, copy pasting videos of people farting and sending it to a lawyer that sent a, a legitimate cease and desist. I'm like, okay, well, good luck to you. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like, a- yeah. <laughs> yeah. He lost any interest I had when he started attacking actors who were bringing up the issue of how difficult it is to exist in new york after being sold that they are going to be massively successful by their bfa mfa programs and then you know they do their showcase and then all the casting directors are like you would do great here and then they get here and they were tricked into joining the union or all these things and they're just like this is so hard and people need to know the hard parts of the the glamour side of it and then deciding to attack every single one of them but instead of doing like actually talking about the business side of it it was a lot of the wow you're just so hot i guess your life is just so bad for you or the you know uh, you look like somebody didn't love you as a child is a very common comeback of his and that's he loves that that's when I chose to just block him because I was just like, I one, I don't need this content. But I also just imagine that the PR nightmare that him existing has been for like he like he shared that Sweeney Todd info a month before they were able to make the press release about it. Like he shared the end of the woods recast things a month before they made the PR announcement about it. And I just can't imagine because like a lot of people don't know how small PR marketing teams are for Broadway shows. It's like two or three people sometimes handling a worldwide marketing campaign. But I just can't imagine how much of a nightmare that's been because it's so easy. Like overnight, a TikTok can have millions of views. I can't imagine how ridiculous that's been for 
them, but then to also have younger people who are devouring that content that then think that is the way to behave in their theater programs mm. as an artist when you get to New York, like. Well, yeah, it's, for me, I, I try to think about, like when I first kind of was seeing his content, it, are there pronouns he, him? Do we know? I believe so. I believe so. Um, so when I saw sweaty articles, like initial content, I was like, it's like I don't under, I don't really understand, what like why, like what is the mm-hmm. why or what is the end goal? Because in, in kind of like gossiping, especially about like very specific people and and letting th- these things out, I'm like our our community is so small that like in a way, once you're exiled, you're exiled. And it's like very hard to regain trust, I feel like, in our industry. And so I'm like, I don't really understand what their end goal is because eventually we're going to be like, we don't we don't want you here. Like, I feel like a lot of at least theater TikTokers are like, we don't, we don't own him. Like, we're like, mm-hmm. we don't accept, you know, he's not one of us. And, um, and like you were saying, Chris, like we, we protect our own sometimes for good or for bad. And it's like, he's ostracizing himself so much that it's like, I don't know who you think is going to protect you. And like, and, and you're not, you're not attacking the system. You're not mm-hmm. trying to make the system better. You're just poking, you're poking mm-hmm. a bear that didn't ask for it. And is mm-hmm. is like, we're just trying to get our, our industry back up and running. And you're just you're, you're going after people that just like, yeah, if people are mean, people are mean, but that doesn't mean like they're the reason the system is why it is like, well, I think it's a perfect example of what happens when someone has a vendetta uh, against either a specific person or a specific type of person that works in this mm-hmm. industry. And therefore, anytime they see that type getting any type of success or air their frustrations in some way, they're going to react to that. True. And that's, and that drives content. That drives this content is, mm-hmm. is those vendettas. And and we've seen other people in, in the past do this before, but that's something that was a lesson I had to learn early on. And mm. um, thankfully I learned it, but I'll be the first person to say, like, you know, I, I have a list of people in my head that I know um, by name that like, okay, if that person ever gets in hot water, I'll be the first to kind of like, you know, you know, maybe take notice of it and things like that because of things that they mm-hmm. did towards me, towards other people that I yeah. know, things like that. But you know, what's a shame is that uh, for for an account that has gotten a lot of attention, is that he's not driving it towards the, the system. He's not pointing out the the, mm-hmm. the true toxic gatekeepers, the true Inequities. toxicity in the industry. Mm-hmm. That if he did that, I mean, who knows what could happen? But um, that's what we need more of. I mean, I think that that people need to say, okay, yes, the go- the gossip is is fun to listen to, but it, it is it is harmful. It could be really dangerous, and we're starting to see that now. Um, but it, it's it's completely okay to talk about the systematic failures, the gatekeepers, and you know the power players that are you know harming this industry, harming people in this industry. That is, I think, the most important thing that I want people you know to concentrate on. Absolutely. You all, you all literally just pivoted exactly to my last question as I wrap up because we have taken enough of your time, Chris, today, and we appreciate you. So as someone who a lot of your work is addressing inequities and dealing with issues of racism, and which is like anybody that's like, I can't believe you say theater is racist and unwelcoming. It's like, what? Queen, what? What? 
so kind of looking at everything that's been addressed and I've noticed that it is predominantly a lot of female or, or female identifying content creators on TikTok are a lot of the ones that are talking about the issues, which is also maybe me going, oh, maybe that's why they're not getting the notice. Hmm, maybe that's it. Because you've got, you know, a lot of, you know, the gatekeepers who are like white men, white queer men. Um, what are, just kind of from the perspective of where you are, what are some of the biggest issues that you could that you think we need to be addressed kind of right on this bat so instead of maybe reporting on the gossip or doing the salacious nonsense what are some of those first things that people could really start making themselves knowledgeable about or educating themselves about that are negatively affecting the industry right now that could if they go unchecked could end kind of the way we're looking at commercial theater and broadway as we see it Maddie, again, you have asked the greatest question that is going to change this industry. Um, and Maddie's I, so good at questions. And I mean it. <laughs> I've been thinking about this a lot. And it's it's one of those like um, questions that, again, if people really sat down and thought about, okay, what what is, do we really need to concentrate on? It is It is exposing and holding accountable the big lie. And when I say the big mm -hmm. lie is – for the past two, three, four years, pre-COVID, sadly with the George Floyd situation, all those things, mm -hmm. we, we heard and saw so many promises of change. Mm -hmm. We saw so many mm -hmm. organizations from the Schubert's to the John Gore organizations to the individual regional theater companies say, we're going to change. Mm -hmm. We're going to do things differently. We're going to start producing different plays. We're going to start bringing in new people. And I will be the first person to say, sadly, we haven't seen a number of them follow through mm -hmm. and be yep. held accountable for that. And so I think going forward, the biggest thing that, that, that content creators, I think, should concentrate on is going back and looking at those organizations, looking at those artists, looking at those directors who said all these different things that made these pledges to do things, hold them accountable, find out where, because if they get away with the big lie, then mm -hmm. we've accomplished nothing. Nothing will move forward. Mm -hmm. Everything reverts back the same, and it gets more dangerous for folks of um, color, for different mm -hmm. gender identifications, to um, to accessibility, um, things like that. Like nothing, nothing will change unless we start calling that out. So, if you're, if, I would say to anybody out there who has a TikTok or a Twitter account and things like that, yes. Finding out the cast of the upcoming Sweeney Todd revival is a lot of fun. Like, yes, we should absolutely do that. But at the same time, we should also take a look at, okay, the, um, uh, uh, oh my gosh, I can't, I, uh, off the top of my head, the um, Jimmy, Needlelanders, oh my gosh, a blanking thing. So the Needlelander organization is going to name uh, one of their theaters after Lena Horne, which is on, on paper an amazing thing. But at the same time, um, they also have not publicly come out and said anything about their donations to the Republican Party. Um, mm -hmm. from ba -ba yeah, so like these are things that people just need to be aware of and, and feel free to call out these organizations because they want to get away from all these different things. They want to push all that stuff to the side and distract you and, and just put on good shows and, and everything will be fine. So as long as we're conscious of the big lie and calling people out on these things, I think we're going to be um, in a good shape going forward. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed, hear, yeah. Hear that, everyone? That is a great call to action. Now, 
Last two questions for you that I just want to hear just for a little fun, just to decompress. What would your dream revival over the next two seasons be? And then because we're in a land that movie musicals, unfortunately, are making the most money right now. What is a movie that you think they have not adapted yet that you think would be lend itself perfectly to a musical? Oh, my gosh. Those are like the big questions. The big, I know. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. All right. So I'm going to, I'm going to go with uh, for the revivals that I want, I'm going to go with a well-known one and I'm going to go with a little obscurity here. Uh, <gasps> go, go, go. The one revival I'm really hoping for. And again, I know we're kind of sondheimed out maybe, but I really want passion to come back. on that song. Yes. Um, yes. That score. Seeing that as a, as a high school freshman, that, that the pro shot, if you will, um, back then changed my life. It, it, it got me inspired to do theater differently. And so I would love to see that come back uh, with a completely re- reimagined cast um, on that. And the other piece that I, I loved growing up is Steel Pier. And uh, that is such a fun, dancey, like happy-go-lucky, like give me all the dance imaginable. Um, I would love to see that show come back um, as well. In terms of movies, Oh my gosh. Um, I, I would love to see, man. Okay. This is going to sound weird. I would love to see Avenue Q made as a movie musical. Oh, okay. Yeah. That was, um, I actually meant like a movie that you love that you would love to have as a musical, but, but, but but I also love that idea because I still, on that, Chris, with you, about a decade ago, I believe it was Universal or Disney <laughs> pitched Spelling Bee as a claymation film or an animated film. It's 25th Annual Putnam County Spelling Bee. And I was like, that is perfection as an animated so, film. Yeah. I think that would be incredible. Incredible. But to answer your question, um, I would. there's two. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a tie. It's 1A, 1B. One is actually being developed. The other one is my fantasy. The fantasy one is my best friend's wedding. I would love to see that <gasps> okay. musical yeah. someday. Give me that. Give me that. All that. All that. Uh, the one that's becoming a reality that's that's catching steam that that we might see in the next two to three years is the Muppets Christmas Carol. So, wait, you when you when you when, posted when, that when I saw that from D twenty three and then I saw that you posted it, I went. I, I contacted my agent and I went, "How the hell can I?" I was like, Brian. Graziani, uh, my you, beautiful, beautiful agent. I'll, How can I make this happen? I'll give you all the deets uh, that I didn't put in the article. Um, and, and so if you want to put this in the podcast at the end, feel free. Um, so one of my good friends is a investor um, on Broadway. And he will, not not with the purpose to be like, I got a hot tip for you, you know, put this out there. Just in general <laughs> discussion. And afterwards, I'll say, can I mention something like that? So he was the first one to tell me about Mean Girls. He was the first one to tell me about mm-hmm. um, other developments and things like that. Years before they actually ended up coming out. He told me about Almost Famous like three years ago, things like that. Uh, so Another show I manifest. There you go. Uh. There you go. So he said um, every single year they talk about Muppets Christmas Carol. And they're mm-hmm. looking at, okay, we, we, you know, Avenue Q was its own thing, but okay. But this year, because it's the 30th anniversary, because there's all this interest now when the when Love is Gone cut is being released on Disney Plus and things like that. And the fact that we have a Sesame Street off-Broadway musical to figure out how do we stage certain things differently with live Muppets on stage. Those talks have now reached the point where now they're, they're very serious. They're like, okay, there's the reality of how we can do this. And they are looking at it as a 12-week engagement, like you know the Christmas Carol at MSG that we all... Mm-hmm 
grew up with and loved and things like that. So um, that I, I will I will go and I will put all my money and in, in, on the blackjack table to say I think within five years we're probably going to get a, an annual Muppets Christmas Carol. Yes, give me a Muppets musical, please. Because if I'll die for anything, oh, yeah. it's the Muppets. Like I, Chris, you do not know me, but I have a. We should sit down once and talk about my long sordid past with Disney, uh, who is now my <laughs> biggest enemy. Um, but uh, I hate that Disney owns the Muppets, but I would lie down and do anything for them to get a Muppets show live on the Broadway. Maddie, I love the Muppets so much that when I was a kid, anytime I saw that old TriStar logo of the horse coming from the background, I would always, uh, yep, that in just leaps, I would always think that it was the Muppets take Manhattan. And one time I was right, <gasps> and I was like, it's like <laughs> that's how much i love that movie so you and i both yeah i mean muppets take manhattan is my favorite of all of the muppets canon like it is my absolute favorite muppet movie okay i think the most important question to ask then chris is which muppet do you identify as oh because i am the rat i am rizzo <laughs> that's an excellent pick um i you know what if it, it's one of those like word associations like give me your favorite muppet go it's rolf i love rolf yeah the one-liners, the piano, it's it give me all of it, yeah. So good. And I'm somewhere between Piggy and Janice. Like, that's true. Oh. <laughs> yes! The older I get, I just, I found myself going, for sure. For when sure. I'm just not feeling a conversation or, like, recently, I've just been like, for sure, man, oh for my sure. Gosh. Well, this is, thank you both for having me. Again, I love meeting both of you. I love being on this podcast. We have to do this again sometime. Chris, thanks again for being on the show with us. Just remind everyone where they can find you and all of Onstage Blog online. Absolutely. It's, it's onstageblog.com. Um, and then my Twitter handle is onstageblog. Our uh, Facebook is onstageblog, all one word. And, and our Instagram is all one word, onstageblog. So um, I'm glad that all worked out. I'm glad there was another onstage blog out there before. Yeah. That, that would have been complicated. But yeah, just uh, type in onstageblog, one word, and you'll find us. Can you believe we've been friends for seven years? And it all started because I compared you to Alana the Lioness. Tamara Pierce really set the tone of our friendship. A love of magic. Briar Moss. Fantasy. Briar Moss. Powerful women. And of course, Briar Moss. Moss. I'm Anna. And I'm MJ. And we invite you to join our circle of friendship. Where we do a chapter-by-chapter deep dive into the Circle of Magic series by Tamara Pierce. We answer important questions like, how does Moonstream let certain dedicates take care of children? Can you imagine anyone else but Mandy Patinkin playing Nico? Knives, Briar. And Knives! Join us every other Monday at cofpodcast.libsyn.com or wherever you download podcasts. But seriously, Knives... Thank you for joining us for today's episode. Exit Stage Death is brought to you by Dreamer Productions. This episode was audio engineered and edited by Maddie Limerick. And our theme is Antisocial Dance Party by Brett Eagleston from the Let's Rewatch podcast. You can find us on Instagram at Stage Death Podcast. On Twitter at Stage Death Pod. And send us your favorite chilling theater stories at Stage Death Podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Patreon.com at Dreamer Productions, where your donation of $2 a month keeps quality content coming your way on your favorite podcatcher app. Join us for more chilling true stories on the next episode of Exit Stage Death.
CPOV. CertainPOV.com.